1: Betches Media presents If you feel depressed and if you feel
0: anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club.
2: Gazpacho, Police. Oh my God! What a
1: stupid son of a bitch. He
2: believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Diana sucker!
1: Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Burr. And this is the Veggie Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. I trust the three of us are doing well because we are in neither shooting nor driving distance of Madison Cawthorn.
3: Seriously? The
2: man.
3: <laughs> what
1: Menace that to album?
2: society. Like, honestly, this is... Anti-social behavior. No, it's like it's cr-
1: yes! uh, right? that's
2: a perfect. That's absolutely what it is. We and
1: we are not into di- generally not into making diagnoses, but that is accurate.
2: I'm just describing the behaviors, yes. like your car. Everybody knows not to bring a gun on a fucking plane. You can't even bring a large moisturizer on a plane.
3: <laughs> I'm it's trying just, to figure out how to ban listerine when I go on a trip. I'm over here like pouring things into tiny bottles, like. And Imagine Farthorn's just like, let's take a
2: loaded weapon. So this is the second time. Did you know that? I did. This is the second time. You have to wonder, like, is he dumb? Is he dumb? Because (laughs) you would think, okay, there were definitely people defending him on Twitter who were like, by the way, you can bring a firearm onto a plane if you check it in your bag and you let the TSA know that you're doing it. I'm like, well, clearly that didn't (laughs) happen. So in this case...
3: Even in this particular case, it's a lot of the people who support Madison Cawthorn. I think it's important to kind of get there because like he's ridiculous and he's a, a terrible person, but more distressing, <laughs> he was elected by people. Like someone was like, you I'm know so what confused. I have the option for? A responsible, thoughtful adult to represent me in Congress. Or I could choose Madison Cawthorn and they chose and Cawthorn. That's, that's you, you pay this man's salary. I guess we do, right? We all, we all pay. Oh, terrible. And in case you know, it, depending on how long he's in Congress for, if he's able to get reelected despite the fact that he's being challenged On the ballot right now, and has to deal with runoffs Please. and all this fun stuff, if he he stays there long enough, we also have to pay for his pension, his care. We're we're no. just doing we're just doing all of it. I mean, I really
1: hope he has been cited. Okay, let's go through. He has been cited for so many things, this man, that we just have to. I mean, we are just there is no God if one of his court dates is not on his like election day or when he has a, a debate or something. If you are not caught up, Madison Cawthorn was caught trying to bring a loaded gun through an air through airport security at the airport in Charlotte in North Carolina, the state he represents. This is the second time this has happened that he has gotten this type of citation. He also brought a knife to a school board meeting. It's, that sounds like the like a gunfight, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's true. I mean, most people are bringing, a lot of people are bringing guns, are bringing guns to school board Terrible. This country, terrible. In addition to racking up citations for driving with a revoked license, this guy is just constant. I mean, he can't drive without a revoked license. He has a revoked license. And he just keeps racking these up. <laughs> he can't drive. Menace, menace to society.
2: How is this man... A, I just think about like, I don't know, I think if anything, oh. like this is just a very, very salient example to people who care um, of of how like of how our elected officials have just completely gone in yeah. in a character sense across yeah. <laughs> the board. Just totally, totally not the type of people who should be the public servants. Like that's kind of the. This is a very clear example that you you have it you know within Demo- the Democratic Party yeah, too. Like sure. people who are not making, I don't know, let's say the most sacrificial the sa- most sacrificial choices. But Diane Feinstein. But um. Yeah. <laughs> but Madison Cawthorn is like, let me let me put people in danger. And how is he not embarrassed about it? That's what mm-hmm. that's what I don't understand. I guess. Some people can't feel embarrassment, and he must be one of them. So I'll just I'll just go with that. I mean, antisocial behavior.
1: at this. also he's 25 years old. I'm like, what are his parents doing? Get his parents involved. I mean, not to blame his mother, not to make women responsible for everything. He's an
2: adult. In theory, his frontal lobe should be finishing up its development around now. <laughs> True. That's the I feel I fear you just gave him an excellent excuse for if he ever tries to justify no, no, this no, behavior. No, 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 no. I you no.
1: This man cannot be reelected. This man cannot be reelected. I mean, I was in North Carolina over the weekend and just like every time we saw somebody pulled over, I was like, Oh, look, it's Madison Cawthorn. It's just constantly. It's always him. It's always in a different car. It's never my favorite part is like that one of the times he was pulled over and he clearly was so surprised to hear that the car wasn't registered in his name. So I maintain it was registered in his parents' name. Get involved there. If you're paying for your kid's car, you can maybe tell them like, Rip them a new one for bringing a gun on a plane or trying to. Because can you imagine this was Ilhan Omar or something? Like, it's just crazy.
3: Yeah. You, you're talking about somebody who the the party has no shame. Like, the, like <laughs> he yeah. usually like, mentioned, like, cocaine parties. And they were like, ooh, none of that. But then he was, they are like, oh, yeah, all of our text messages have been opened about how we were plotting a coup. Well, that's fine. You know, it happens. And you're like uh okay so like there's no shame left in the republican party they're just kind of embarrassed it's like oh man we ended up with a guy who brings weapons everywhere and threatens people with them and you know is has a long history of uh of sexual assault allegations against him you know there's (laughs) he's basically just tiny
4: proto-trump it's it's all the time (laughs) this is who they are now do you have for Dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now.
1: So you referenced the text. We got into the coup text, the famous coup text a little bit yesterday, but I wanted to really dive into them today. We talk about Mark Meadows' text a lot. But this is definitely the most revealing set so far. There are about 2,300, and apparently a thousand more that Meadows would not share. I cannot imagine. What are there? It includes texts from family, close advisors, state-level officials, Fox News hosts, and 40 current and former Republican members of Congress. Before we get into all the treason, which we will, I do want to indulge some of the more hapless moments. Ivanka Trump, I don't know why I think this is so silly, but Ivanka Trump, she just sounds like a doofus. She sent a note on November 5th to a group chat from Hill that includes Jared Kushner, Hope Hicks, Jason Miller, and Mark Meadows telling them, quote, You are all warriors of epic proportions. Keep the faith
2: and fight. How late Oh my god That is so exactly What day did she send that? November 5th Oh November 5th So this was after election day Yeah Okay You know That Oh I love the picture That that paints Cause it's If if there's no other text from her She was probably just like Oh I can't even deal with this She's probably taking calls for just from her like settee and her fucking giant ass closet, like a Kathy Hilton size closet. And she, that's all she's doing. <laughs> and then she's and like the TV. Right. And then she's like, let me let me send daddy's friends an encouraging message. Thanks for all their help. And then she like writes that fucking dumbass message. And everyone's like, what the hell is she up to?
1: Totally. And if I'm Ho I'm kind of like maybe I'm giving hope Picks too much credit, but I'm like, why am I on here?
2: No, this is inner our circle. This is inner circle. She ironed his pants
3: while he was wearing them. She's absolutely on that list, okay? You know, she's in that group chat. She's in all the group chats.
1: I mean, That's the, first, dangerous. The, the text before that is like, Claudette, tomorrow, then you all are warriors. Like, it's just, wait, 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 it. who's the group? Jared. It's Jared Kushner, Jason Miller. And then there's one other guy who, uh, his last name was like Stepien, I think. I oh, Bill
2: Stepien. Yes, yes. He's an important man to them. What? Who is he again? He was like a he was like a campaign manager type. Like, I think he was technically the campaign manager for a minute. Like they all just the the work with the org chart is not really relevant. It's really more of like an org circle, like this group chat, yeah. you know, and now you here's that's actually very interesting that those are like the yeah. high key people. Those are her warriors. I wonder how she has them saved. Warriors. Warriors. (laughs) She's like, she sounds like the Soul Cycle branding. Warrior. (laughs) Renegade. So Rick Perry also
1: looked a little embarrassed in these. He has previous denied texting like treasonous ideas to Meadows. But in these new documents, he says a lot of crazy shit. And then he signs his text Rick Perry. Like when your dad is
3: like, love you, dad. This is gorgeous. I love everything about it. He treats texts like email. I am, and, no, and on no, top no. of it, it just brings you back to that sweet, sweet moment in those 2016 primaries where he was eliminating three major federal pieces of the you you know, like pieces of federal administration. And he was like, I'm going to eliminate. And then he like went through two and he couldn't remember the third one. And people were just like at that point trying to like lob him what the third one might be. And he was like, "Nah, that's not it. I'll get back to it. <laughs> like, not a smart man.
1: <laughs> not a smart man. Not a smart man. He's really one of the dumbest. (laughs) One of the dumbest, and he had like a dumb role in the first impeachment too, right? He was like trying to, I don't know, something with oil
2: and gas. TBT. No, there. No, what he said is he was in a debate and he wanted to get rid of three agencies. Yeah, and he couldn't name the three agencies that he wanted to get rid of. Right, but I think he was also part of like the first impeachment, wasn't he? He was like trying to get, I
1: don't know. There's definitely an element his role in that in the Ukraine thing. I think so Maybe I'm thinking of um, I always get him And some other
2: I think I know Who you're talking about That you're confusing With Rick Perry Like there's another guy Who wears Who cosplays A little similarly I don't know Who you're thinking of I think that person Might be from Florida though Potentially.
1: But regardless, in this case, Perry had like a pretty explicit role. He connected Meadows to a DOG official whose name is Jeffrey Clark, and he was pushing unfounded claims of voter fraud in the Justice Department. And Trump had considered installing him as attorney general. So Perry was telling Meadows, like, let's hook these two up. Let's make it
2: happen. Dream team. Oh, so Perry was the bridge in that one. Interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. You always really wonder how
2: up. did like these certain figures like get pulled in? Someone like a Jeffrey Clark. I can't even remember exactly. all the names of the on that list, but there are a lot of those characters. Mm-hmm. And it's like, OK, oh, some fucking Republican from one of the states who's like, oh, let me win some points. It's like, here, let me make an intro. That's exactly what all
1: these texts are. I mean, that's it's it's, you know, like state officials in Arizona saying like we're looking for the fraud just. Everybody trying to tell Mark Meadows for a while, we're doing our best. We need you to do this. And between the insurrection and the the election and the insurrection, there are just so many examples of people doing similar things to Rick Perry. I'm wondering what stood out the most to you in these? Because there have been lots of leaks. We have we have seen a lot of Mark Meadows text inbox. But what stood out about these?
2: Honestly, the convenience of Marjorie Taylor Greene's texts while mm-hmm. she's on this uh, trial mm-hmm. or lo- while this lawsuit is being not a trial, while this while this lawsuit is being brought against her for um, again for her ineligibility to run for office because of her involvement in January sixth, mm-hmm. um, it is convenient that these texts popped up. It makes me feel like oh maybe there is like a small chance something you know happens there where she isn't able to run again. Um, but that's really all that that was really the most interesting part to me, but mostly because of how those two stories come. Absolutely. uh, Combined as a timeline. Also, Mark Meadows, is this man handing out gold stars or some shit because everybody (laughs) is trying to get on his good side?
1: Yeah, I mean, as far as all of the text sent on or before January 6th, a number of Republican reps, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, at one point asked the president to do something to get the insurrectionists to step down. There is a sense of desperation in the text for sure, but it's not fear or disgust with the violence itself. Most of them seem to be telling Mark Meadows that Trump needs to intervene to save their brand. Like this is bad for us if he doesn't intervene. Not a lot of this is just terrible for the country. This is, this is a tragedy. We've seen that from others, but not much in this trench. Don Jr. at one point texted Mark Meadows, quote, they will try to fuck his entire legacy on this if it gets worse. But then Jason Miller suggested to Meadows that the White House start suggesting that the blame on Antifa. And shortly after that, members of Congress started spreading this idea around. This included Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is, as we mentioned, currently facing a legal challenge to disqualify her from running for Congress because of her alleged role in January 6th. In court testimony, you've probably seen she's claiming she does not remember what she said around or on the events of January 6th. But that is not true. On December 31st, Greene reached out to Meadows for advice about how to prepare for objections to certifying the election, which as what? seems to be connected to her current trial. Caitlin, do you see this, this, the timing of this leak to potentially impact that? I
3: have to admit, like the thing overall to me, that's just that it's just so it, it's so open and so cavalier that to some degree you start disbelieving it yourself. Like you start actually adding like, well, it could be like, no, it's just exactly what it looks like. They are plotting to overturn an election. Which is a coup. If there's no like complicated thing, like, well, people try all sorts of things. Like, I remember, you know, in the wake of the horrible nightmare that was 2016, you know, people were trying to figure out any legal way we could not necessarily overturn the election, but go and find out what the fuck had just happened. Mm-hmm. People were like, "Let's do recounts. Let's do this," because we were, right. but we weren't like, and people were like, "Let's stop him from getting." The elected was <laughs> taking the oath office. Let's do something. But it was not trying to necessarily undo the election as much as, like, make sense of what the hell had just happened and possibly impose any kind of restriction on this. As we now know, complete psycho taking over the government. And this is just so blatantly, so obviously, they're just sitting there plotting, trying to destroy the country. I just. Uh, I, I'm baffled. And, you know, I kind of hope that she gets kind of screwed on this lawsuit because that's a blueprint for a lot of other people to be removed from the ballot and possibly even for Congress. If Democrats can ever find a spine one day, we dream that they might use the 14th Amendment to stop these. I don't want to be ableist. Let's. But
2: crazy feels like a very appropriate word here. (laughs) It's not crazy. Let's just go with treasonous. That's the basis. They're treasonous. That's it. Right. Right. Yes.
1: Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to com. that's Newly with two U's, and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So as you said All of this is mind-blowing Every time there's a leak It is I don't want to say We're coming numb to it because I continue to be surprised, but the House Six Committee is preparing to reveal some of its findings in a series of hearings this June. I'm wondering if we think these leaks have kind of taken the wind out of their sails, or do you think like most Americans probably haven't been paying attention, but will absolutely tune into days of congressional testimony, which I don't know if historically that's proven correct.
2: I don't think that the leaks are taking the wind out of the sails. I think they the ship is taking the wind. <laughs> out, you know that this the whole way that um, it's the leaks, not us, not really hustling. <laughs> it, it's like um, it's just they're fighting a machine in a timeline that is very difficult to beat, and they are not. They don't seem willing to employ like more ruthless tactics. I guess um, so. Yeah, I just think they're operating again Mm -hmm. like it's 2002, and it's not, so... The
3: problem is actually that they're operating like it's 2002, and in 2002 there was in fact a giant messaging machine telling everybody that if you didn't agree with endless surveillance, like starting a war in Iraq, and lots of other terrible shit, that you were un-American. There was a we we were living deluged in a time and like the, the Democrats have just continued. This is the two decade long period where Democrats just stepped back. I guess assume that someone somewhere is going to be good and that truth wins. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, that's not accurate. You need to repeatedly punch lies in the face. This should be you know what they should get. They should get. I, I'm going to be a little rigid to hear. They should get like Chris Jenner or somebody on this. Can you imagine if Chris Jenner wanted to bring yeah. attention to something? Could you Girl. imagine anything stopping her? No. Could you, it would be set up like a launch. Those June hearings would be like everyone would be on them. There would be five different hashtags that you could use. <laughs> we would all have like. would be a soft launch. Yes, absolutely. Well, would this put was together The entire thing for Instagram stories. You would have like a frame, like they would create a new format just so you could put things up on Instagram about these hearings. So mm-hmm. get a deal it with would be outrageous. Time. We would have an entirely different world. But no, Democrats don't want a message ever. Oh, the truth will set you free. You just need to just believe, you know, this is like Care Bear land. I don't know what's going on here.
2: <laughs> well, here's the issue. People with that sort of ruthless sense of um, messaging, I think just fundamentally don't become democratic oper- like you know operatives or politicians and it's just sort of fundamentally at odds to who the democratic party is and who they attract those people if they want to get into politics they go into the republican side where the money's probably a little better
3: jackie kennedy was a queen of messaging the only reason anyone thinks jack kennedy is worth shit Mm -hmm. like half a century later could just be clear he was trash all the way down and (laughs) even to her especially to her let's just talk about this right especially to her an entire legend out of jack kennedy okay she was Draped in his brain matter and walked around letting herself get photoed so that way she could make an impression about what exactly had just happened. Do you think she was thinking about that at the time? Yes. She she, She was a boss at every level. The fact that we don't have anybody, like, you don't need to be evil. Jackie Kennedy was not necessarily evil, but she was smart, intense, driven, knew what needed to get done. And she was willing to do it. That- I'm trying to think, like, what is, I'm going to be thinking about
1: this for days. Like, what would Chris Jenner, like, what would be, because now I'm thinking all about how, like, our Kardashian episodes, we had a, like, Kardashian expert where she compared them to the Kennedys and their, like, performance. And now I'm just going to be thinking about what, what could happen, what plot lines they could orchestrate. Sammy, what do you think?
2: I mean, we would have, here, here's the problem. Like, they're set up too late to, we're, we're too late for this to work but i think like at this point we're so behind the ball that i don't know
3: do i believe in the
2: power of chris jenner let me
3: put it okay. that way like i think if you if you told her that she we needed this to happen and you were willing to pay her the money to make it happen like what is it the is ch- what
1: it, what is the cravis think- of the january 6th hearings coming up like what is that moment oh, that's like i think we need like two congress mm. people to get into like an illicit affair and then also be involved in like have really i don't know we need a storyline maybe i I
3: don't think i think that the drama of this lends itself you just need to like that's what jamie raskin says he says it's
1: going to blow the roof off which i thought was a terrible metaphor about the insurrection (laughs) (laughs) he said it's it's going to blow the roof (laughs) off the capitol (laughs)
2: Okay, when I say, like, start over, I mean, they need to come up with a new venue in which to share these hearings. And I think Caitlin was sort of alluding to that and saying, like, there would be a new way to, like, share it. But I think it's that they need to be more creative. Like, no one's tuning into C-SPAN or MSNBC or CNN all day. Fox News is not covering it the same way. Like, they need to sort of flood the zone. they, They need to figure out where to flood the zone, and they... They really need more like stars. I know that's like. No, they do. Mallory McMorrow's. They need like a Mallory McMorrow of the January 6th mm-hmm. committee who's gonna, you know. Kill yeah. It and day. which just like,
1: once again, could have been Kamala. <laughs> Not of the committee but of like part of part of this moment. I mean what so what do you think that what opportunities do you think that they have Caitlin that they still have available to them to like paint a really compelling picture that will just disgust Americans out of out of at least maybe considering voting for Trump again like what should their what's what's a dream scenario outcome of these hearings specifically.
3: I mean, not just of okay. the hearings, but like the Democratic Party. I mean, Mallory McMorrow kind of set the pace. So we need to switch fundamentally to attacking the Republican Party. This is a thing yeah. I have said for a very long time. I feel bad that I'm saying it again. But, you know, if it continues being true, it applies every 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 single week. Go if it's Wednesday, it applies. <laughs> <laughs> have i mentioned destroying the republican party today um so no but uh the focus has to be on a pathologic oh well, no i'm not gonna get that one. <laughs> okay pathologizing there we go the republican party as like you know as a a enemy it's about um Clarifying, you know, the threat that they pose and then of course, most importantly, following up by not negotiating yeah, with them on other right. things. Because then you undermine your own point. If these people are actually evil, psycho Nazis trying to throw, overthrow the government, then you are a crazy person for trying to negotiate with them when they would like to destroy you. Um, and then it gives the impression that like maybe it's good to negotiate with fascists, which it is absolutely not under any circumstances. You build a narrative, you let it, you let it rise, you let it say in people's heads. You talk about how this is really terrible, like all this other stuff. And then the the text messages, everything that they talk about lands in a context where people are already willing and ready to see the problem for what uh-huh. it is.
2: Do you think yeah. that there's any benefit in like uh Rehashing um, January 6th in almost a Benghazi-style way. Like, I think if you remember that day, like, people who are not engaged whatsoever were really shocked by what they were watching on their televisions. And I wonder if that would be, yeah, like, that reminder is something that would be welcome or if it would repel people. I think it would be, you know, it was interesting because,
3: like, I had a, I was, you know, people were asking what your favorite day yeah. on Twitter was, like one of my friends had tweeted that out and people were retweeting with like, you know, lots of things including getting COVID. I mean, but the when you talk about like a moment that everybody was actually engaged 100 percent, January 6th has to be up there. It's a screwed totally up thing to say that like, oh, the coup was the day, but everything stopped like everyone remembers what was happening when they found out that there was a mob trying to kill our representatives to overturn an election. Everybody remembers where they were. It was a worldwide broadcast. Nobody was, it was tuned out. So I think that bringing it back might actually remind people why like any of mm-hmm. this matters because right now it feels a little bit ironically, like I mentioned Chris Jenner, but it feels kind of like a reality show all Flash no substance. It doesn't really matter what happens because whatever next season's going to happen anyway. And it's like no, America is not a running syndicated show. It is not like this. It's not a reality show. It is going to come with some massive impacts. It already has, and we have to engage. And maybe this will do it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But they should try. Somebody try. try. Try.
2: Get caught trying. Get caught
3: trying. Absolutely. Yeah, they need to get
1: some moments like for midterm ads and that. And like they have Marjorie Taylor Greene saying, you know, these people felt that they needed to, like i denounced this, but these people felt like they had no other choice. Have that text, like have these texts with the scenes behind them to really paint a picture.
3: Mm, Actually a slogan that could be there could be got caught trying for all of these people trying to overthrow the government.
2: What if we projected into the sky like a bat signal? So it can't be ignored.
3: (laughs) I mean, Batman is about fighting political corruption, ironically enough, and police misconduct. What
1: are what do you think our listeners should be looking for? Like, do you think they're going to drop some knowledge that we have not heard before that are not in the league specifically? Like, yes, I think what I'm going to look out for is connections of Trump and the White House coordinating with people that knew it would be violent and wanted it to be violent. And I was reading that. I guess they're going to take a close. I guess there is a big. They're really focusing on whether Trump decided when he was up there to say, let's all march to the Capitol, or if it's quite likely that that was already predetermined. And he was—he knew he was arriving to and fired up angry base of people, and he was going to tell them to go to the Capitol. And I guess, what does it matter if either of those things are true?
2: I mean, true is irrelevant to the consequences. I think that we know that regardless of what happens in the hearings? I think there mm-hmm. will be a lot that we learn from them because as much as we all sort of like know or have uh, ideas or little pieces of evidence of certain things that f- that have allowed us to form a certain narrative about it. I think that when we have many more pieces, it will all paint a different picture. I think it will paint yeah. a much more intent p- in uh, intentional picture than you know the average witness of that day and i think that some of the things that we learn will be very salient yeah I love that we'll see we'll see if it matters though again that's separate from whether it matters so. see you if you were a lawmaker
1: that said that on msnbc i'd be like oh i want to go watch that yeah i think it will be very salient
2: i guess they should cut me <laughs> off before i say it doesn't matter
3: <laughs> i i think that uh one of the big things is going to be who knew what was happening and when did they know it? Because what we're seeing now is like a pattern of behavior, but there's going to be some bigger things. Like we've heard about like lawmakers who, um, who gave tours of the Capitol to people who were a part of that mob. We, that's a huge deal right there. To to me, that's like, you know, that's, that's the connection. We've got who were moved, who, who were the internal supports who removed things like panic buttons out of democratic house members offices huge deal like we need to know the answer to that there's there's a yeah, lot of like Jesus. really nefarious stuff and i think they should like actually paint this a little bit like a psychological thriller where we already know the conclusion the violence the everything but then pulled back That's and it's like how did this happen who knew what who's the inside ju- man like all of this other stuff And, you know, grab, you know, grab Spike Lee, grab some great. We have so many great fiction people on our side, so many great storytellers.
1: Stephen King. You're so right. I mean, as I was like, you know, because I asked at the beginning, like, what are the storylines? Like, the storylines are there. If you told me this was going to be a 12-part series on HBO, I would watch it. It's just like, we don't have the right performers in the right roles. They
2: need, we need more. Here's the thing. I actually, I think that the details of this Let's say you put them in a psychological thriller of a book. You couldn't even get them all in the book. Is actually yeah. how I think that we're gonna feel about what we mm-hmm. will now see.
3: You, you could. I think that absolutely they should start doing like almost like a little, almost like a, a small bore story, like um, you know, like like Welcome to Night Vale or something like that. It just starts to pull the whole thing together. In these small episodic ways this is what chris jenner would do she would also release
1: crime thriller novels for various sequences of like you know like babysitter's club but there's just like novels for each episode and you could like buy them in the airport someone
3: yeah. come up with the covers
2: of like a nancy drew type shit okay <laughs> oh those were and the attic yeah that stuck with me yeah the clock in the attic make them literal make them erotica whatever people want to pick it up i don't know <laughs> you know what i think they should do maybe this won't work on like desktop but you know i guess you could build it for mobile too you know how back in the day i i mean it would maybe be better if elise were here as a big harry potter fan yeah. but they used to have like harry yes. potter website where you could like look at the like it was like a supplemental explanation yeah of oh, harry right, potter right, right. like i think that it would be cool is like go to insurrection.com and like fill in and like find out like so yeah they, do you know what Get, I think with like it. FAQ and like maybe there's even a chat feature where you could have a little staffer who's like, where you could ask a question. Can you explain this part? And then the staffer from the committee is like, the, the here's the section that you want to read in the report. Build a desktop,
3: a, a, a tabletop gaming where you can play real play as one of the people. I really love where to we have started or yes. stop it.
1: Yeah. As you were talking, this would just totally be co-opted by by like right-wingers to just be like insurrection fan fiction. But I think these are good thoughts, and I really hope the Democratic Party is taking some into consideration. Use the tech available to you, y'all. It's 2022. We will be watching. I am terrified that the Roe decision is going to come during this set of hearings, but um, we'll forget I said that. Don't don't internalize that. It's all right. We don't, don't have to think about it. Don't say that you don't out if you go on. MSNBC it. It also could potentially be when I'm in France and I won't have to deal with it. I'm going on vacation, so have fun with that. Oh, also, uh, actually, me and Sammy, I think we're both out the same week. It's like early June. Are we? Yeah, it'll be very fun for Bridget to cover the end of row and the hearings. No, we will. We will hope for a good timeline. And we're always here. We're always here.
2: I'll still do morning announcements. It's better because when I'm ahead, I'm less oh, yeah. annoying to the team. If Roe is overturned, I am. I am beaming into France. Just, do you want me to just go to Europe, pers- like permanently, and make <laughs> everything easier for everyone? I don't mind. Works for I'll me, go. Sammy. I'll take the sacrifice. I'll go. If Europe will take you, let's all go. Sounds good. They are. They might not have to deal with Twitter anymore if they violate the new EU regulations. First, Twitter is going to get fined, I think, like six percent, six percent of its revenue. And then if they don't continue to comply, if they continue not complying, they will not be able to operate in Europe. So another reason. Well, I could go there. Yes, definitely. But then where am I going to get my news? So <laughs> True. Know. And Sammy just brought up Twitter. So on that note, we
1: will be back shortly to talk to Axios Media Trends reporter Sarah Fisher, who is going to break down what was happening behind the scenes as Elon Musk bought Twitter and what we should expect to see in the next six months. Stay tuned.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: We are back now with Sarah Fisher. She is a media trends reporter from Axios who authors the media trends newsletter, which analyzes trends in digital media. And we have a a huge story in digital media to discuss, of course, this morning. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So this was a will they or won't they for a while. I'm talking, of course, about Elon Musk buying Twitter with Twitter appearing to take steps to prevent Musk from buying the company. What do you think changed for them as somebody who has watched this play out? What factors went into Twitter's calculus that observers like re- need to really understand?
0: Well, I think that they were put into a corner. They didn't have much of a choice. You know, Elon Musk put out a filing with the Securities Exchange Commission last week, essentially saying that if they didn't accept his bid, he was going to either A, go directly to shareholders and offer to buy their shares at a premium – And then B, through a tender offer, if that didn't work, you know, possibly do a proxy battle, meaning he'd team up with other shareholders to essentially overthrow the board. And so what Twitter figured was, all right, at this point, it's better to kind of work with him, accept this bid, than get into some sort of very, very nasty battle where all of our leadership could be uprooted automatically at least this gives them six months before the deal closes to sort of work with him, negotiate, figure out what his plan is in terms of getting uh, shareholders in the company that work at the company, like employees paid out, all this type of stuff. But Mm -hmm. it's really not ideal for Twitter.
2: Can you shine some light on how this went down behind the scenes? Like when they... They rebuffed him and he, you know, at what how does he come back to them and say, Well, if you don't take my offer, these are the things I'm gonna do?
0: Yeah, so Elon came out with a bid. Well, let me rewind. Elon came out and disclosed a nine point two percent stake in Twitter, which is pretty significant. And the first reaction from Twitter and analysts was, okay this is a pretty significant stake that he's been amassing over the next few months is his goal here to maybe take over twitter what's the end point then elon musk comes out and says look i'm going to offer to buy twitter for 54 dollars a share which by the way is a pretty big premium compared to where twitter was already trading at i think it was trading at around 48 dollars. so twitter's board has a very smart response and they say look we'll give you a position on the board. You can uh, take that if you, as long as you agree that you're never going to increase your stake in the company over a certain amount. And they thought that that was going to be enough to hold Elon Musk back. But what happened is over a matter of a few days, Elon Musk changed his mind. He hmm. backs out of the board. And at this point, Twitter's board's pretty freaked out. They think, oh my gosh, if he is backing out, he's probably going to look to do a full takeover bid. So, what Elon Musk does is he goes and he essentially talks to his back end folks and his finance, personal finances, tries to figure out, all right, how do I come up with the right number? He puts out a proposal. And then that first proposal does not have any details about how he's going to actually pay for Twitter. Because you have to understand, Elon Musk isn't super liquid. Like, Mm -hmm. lots of his money is tied up in Tesla stock. Finally comes back a few days later. Um, And he says that he has some debt financing for Morgan Stanley. Twitter's board tries to push him off by invoking what's called a poison pill, which is like a defensive corporate strategy that would essentially dilute the stock for Elon Musk, making it more expensive for him to buy it out. But ultimately, Elon kind of called their bluff. He came up with the financing Mm -hmm. and Twitter's board once backed into a corner, just had to accept the bid. Mm hmm.
2: I have a question on in terms of, you know, his motivation. So do you think that this is was purely always about him wanting Twitter, like, for its own sake? Or do you think that their resistance to him owning Twitter almost turned it into, like, an ego thing? Like, they're saying, I can't have it, so I'm going to try even harder to get it.
0: Such a smart question. I think it's a little bit of both. I think... Elon Musk is a very impulsive person. In some ways, that has led to some of his greatest innovations. But in other ways, he has, you know, made some mistakes. And I think he saw this as a free speech move. And the resistance that he got, not just from Twitter, but from other folks publicly, I think it did motivate him. It motivated him because he saw this counterculture of, people sort of silencing, you know, speech Mm -hmm. and dissent rally up against his bid and it kind of fired him up even more to say, look, there's a problem with free speech that I want to take after it. But I I really do want to stress the point of Elon Musk being a very impulsive person. I think that played a lot into this. Mm hmm.
1: And just to continue talking a little bit about Twitter's motivation, I heard you say in an interview with CNN, I think on Monday, that Twitter has struggled with profitability, with one factor potentially being how much they've invested in safety and security. To me, this sounds like because Twitter has spent so much on making the platform safer, they might have now been forced to sell themselves to a person whose ideas for the platform might make it less safe, which leads me to the question of, is making social media platforms safer and more pleasant just bad business?
0: I couldn't disagree more i think and that's not your assumption that's what other people are saying i think when you make them safer you make them a better uh place for advertisers to want to want a message and i think that's actually the biggest Mm -hmm. risk right now is if you pull back a lot of the guardrails blue chip advertisers meaning big brands i think are going to be a lot more hesitant about wanting to spend with the platform and twitter is unique compared to facebook or google because it's much more heavily reliant on some of those big name brand advertisers, okay. it also has a lot of partnerships with premium publishers in terms of, you know, partnerships to broadcast clips from sports games or to mm-hmm. run live feeds of award shows. You don't publishers are not going to want to work mm-hmm. with Twitter if they think it's become just like a cesspool of misinformation and hate speech.
2: That's a really interesting point. Um, in terms of, do you think that you know you you spoke to Musk's impulsivity? Do you think there's a chance that he could? You know, I think people are sort of uh, predicting this almost like dystopian turn that where that Twitter will take and that we're all going to be trapped in it. But in reality, it, Twitter is is not that popular outside of you know a very particular subset of of people. So, do you think there's any chance that? Or, you know, what do you think the chances are that Elon Musk runs Twitter into the ground, so to speak, not even necessarily financially, but in terms of its importance, its relevance no longer will be what it what it is now?
0: I think in the short term, imagine Twitter like a needle in a haystack. All those pieces of hay are the different algorithms, bureaucratic aspects of its company, layers of corporate management that are going to have to be sort of peeled and parsed through before he could find the needle, which is, you know, the one major algorithm switch that he wants to mm-hmm. make. And so I think in the short term, he's not going to be able to just with a flick of a button completely and fundamentally change Twitter because he knows that if he does that, there are big security implications. There are big implications for users fleeing. But I think in the long term, Yes, I'll continue to make incremental decisions that will ultimately make Twitter a platform that is less, uh, you know, moderated. Mm-hmm. Less. Um, it's just not going to look the same as it does today. What will it look like? I mean, there are some folks that are arguing that if they, if Elon can construct it right, maybe it looks more like a Reddit where mm-hmm. there aren't as many clampdowns on free speech, but the communities are a little bit more siloed so that like the most crazy stuff doesn't automatically go so viral. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge here is that Elon Musk just hasn't spoken at length enough about his plans. You know, he says, I want to make the algorithms open source. Okay, fine. I want to make an edit button. Okay, fine. But he right. hasn't laid out any concrete details as to how he would come down on certain aspects of speech. In fact, some of the things that he's laid out are quite contradictory. In one case, he says, I will adhere to whatever local laws of the country in which we are residing. Well, certain speech is very different in certain countries. Mm -hmm. So where, what lines are you going to draw? And then in other cases, he completely contradicts himself by saying, well, you know, people should be able to say essentially whatever they want. I don't think he thought it through as my final answer Mm -hmm. for you. And because of that, it's hard to say exactly which direction it will go in. But what I do know is no matter how smart or how well-resourced you are, one, There's a there's a lockup period. So you can't make any substantial changes till the deal closes. And that won't be for six months. So don't expect changes in six months. And then, two, even if he does try to come in, you know, guns are blazing and torch the thing down. Like I said, imagine that needle in a haystack. It's hard when you have a big corporation to just kind of come dismantle it overnight.
2: Got it. Yeah. Do you think there's any chance that this deal will fall apart before it ends up going through?
0: Great question. So that would depend on there being other bidders for Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons the board jumped on this is because there were not other bidders for Twitter. And there was some speculation over the past week or so that other private equity firms would team with Twitter to Mm -hmm. try to sort of buy it out from underneath Mm -hmm. Elon. There was speculation that Elon would team with other private equity firms to finance the bid Ultimately, neither of those things happened, which has sort of led me to believe that some of these private equity giants were too scared that the juice was not worth the squeeze, that there was not enough financially to make getting involved in this worth it in the long run. And so I don't think you're going to see other bidders. If they were there, we would not have had the board jump on Elon's bid.
1: Yeah, my, my last question is, why do you think that Elon Musk thinks the juice is worth the squeeze? I mean, these companies are notoriously challenging to run notoriously. And he has a number of other companies that are also I hear, you know, the rocket ships are pretty hard. Brain science sounds difficult. I mean, what is he getting himself into? Do you think it sounds like you don't since he's so impulsive, he might not grasp like the real the real challenges here?
0: Yes. And by the way, these are such great questions. I love your oh, podcast. I love to like oh, talking. You. It's like really fun to talk to you guys. Oh, I think you're cool. So smart. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think there's a fundamental change happening in America and around the world around free speech. And it's become a major issue for big thinkers and billionaires because what they say could change the nature of their innovations in the companies that they're running. You know, classic example, Elon once sent yeah. a tweet that triggered an SEC investigation into Tesla. And so now it's something that they care a lot about. And I think he wants to play a bigger role in dictating the future of free speech. And he's not the only high-profile billionaire to do so. I mean, Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. William Powell Jobs mm-hmm. bought a majority of stake in the Atlantic. You know, Reid Hoffman is investing in a misinformation, an uh, anti-misinformation a uh, public benefit corporation like this is something that a lot of high profile people are getting into they're mm-hmm. not taking as big of a swing at it as Elon but they also don't have the resources that Elon does so right. i think he wants to play a bigger role in dictating the future of free speech i think he's felt burned by quote unquote cancel culture and i think he's felt like he wants to do something about it but in terms of the juice being worth the squeeze is, is so why he's investing in twitter versus other mechanisms you know he one is a massive user of twitter 80 80 million followers and so I think he wants to have more control over the platform that has become his biggest vehicle for communicating both to investors and stakeholders and the general public but then two I think Twitter is really the town square for public debate in a way that Facebook and Instagram and Reddit and Snapchat are not and so that's attractive to him and then three you know he said like the economics don't matter to me I don't think he's interested or cares about making money off the business and notoriously, this has been a tough business to make money off of. And so the person who was eventually going to come in and buy Twitter, you know, they had to actually in some ways be motivated by things outside of the business economics because Twitter has shown after 10 years of being public, more or less, that it's not a great business. So that's why I think a lot of private equity firms ultimately weren't super interested in taking it over. Um, so I think that's Elon's motivation. I, yeah. I guess my thought bubble here is that My hope is he takes the time to really learn all of the debates that Twitter has already had to go through to make the current policies as they are. You know, some of the things around free speech that are so nuanced, a great example, like what do you do with a terrorist group that's not designated as a terrorist organization by the United States? Do you police it like a terrorist group, right? So Mm -hmm. these are all things that like Twitter has in the past had to deal with. I hope Elon Musk takes the time to, reconsider how um thorny some of these issues were before making sweeping
1: changes yes we we definitely do too i mean nothing scarier than a man with nothing to lose so then
2: <laughs> he's actually like one of the last people in the world who i think would give the deserved consideration to such oh, nuanced no. and important issues and potentially you know life-threatening in some cases but also just speaking to the money piece what it, this is this speaks to one of I think, the hazards of Elon Musk's success and that he's been able to be so successful and be accumulate so much wealth and become the richest person in the world while his own companies don't necessarily even live up to the promises that they're making. Like his, you know, Tesla, you could sort of argue, has it like met its valuation. So it's no surprise that Elon Musk does not care if he, you know, if Twitter's, a fairly profitable True. business. Right. Like, this isn't about that. He's able to be the richest person in the world anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. Although I would push back on one thing, which is that I think Elon Musk has had to make some pretty serious considerations in terms of morals and ethics and values. So I don't think he's unable to do it or unwilling. You know, a great example is in a self-driving car. If a small child is running in front of the car on one side and an elderly woman is running alongside the other like that car's algorithm. It needs to be programmed to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Those are moral and ethical implications. And those are meetings that Elon Musk has sat in on. Mm-hmm. I think um, the challenges those have been uh, not at the forefront of his decision making in the public's eyes. So we don't really get to see how yeah. he's come down and how he's made those choices. Whereas with Twitter, like everything is going to be in the public eye. You know, whether or not you choose to ban an account mm-hmm. or bring Donald Trump back. So we're gonna see very quickly where he comes down on things. And as a result, he's gonna have to make the decisions really quickly. And mm-hmm. that's what's mm-hmm. tricky. Like with some of these moral things that he's had to deal with in terms of SpaceX or Starlink mm-hmm. or Tesla, the things that he could deal with repercussions behind the scenes through thorough and thoughtful processes. Like, I don't know that he's gonna get as much time to be thorough and thoughtful on Twitter because if right. somebody says something that's so damaging to public safety, as was alleged during the Capitol six riot with Donald Trump, like he needs to make a decision within a matter of hours. And that's where I don't know yeah. where Elon Musk comes down.
1: Yeah. So, so many interesting questions to come up. Um, I'm, uh, finally, I'm curious what you will be watching most curiously in the next couple of months and where people can uh, can get more of your analysis like this.
0: Oh, you're so kind for asking. Um, the thing I'm going to be watching most closely in the next few months is how other billionaires um, and big, powerful figures respond to what Elon's doing. And if they this inspires them to become even more proactive in this debate, do we see it? People, you know, Reddit, for example, they want to go public $15 billion valuation. Does someone instead just like buy Reddit for $15 billion? So that's one thing I'm watching. Yeah. And then you know I'm a reporter for Axios. I write a newsletter every week called Axios Media Trends, where I offer these analyses. Um, but you know I also like to appear on podcasts and things like this. So uh, I'd say you know following me on LinkedIn or following me on Twitter is probably the mm-hmm. best way.
1: Yes. And the, we didn't have time to get into this today, but your most recent newsletter, Media Trends Newsletter, has a lot of tea on CNN Plus. And you can also, if you didn't get that on your inbox, you can find, there's links to it on Axios. It's it's easy to find, but there's lots of there's lots of great info in there. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Talk soon. That is our show today. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Byrd. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye.